Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God who loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generous generosity can will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will be will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, you know, one of the things with camp, and I think the kids experience, is just the creativity of expressing God's word in different forms and ways that can connect with really all generations, but particularly younger generations. Uh, The message today on giving and being generous uh, certainly can stir my heart already, Uh, but I got a challenge from my older son last night. He said, Dad, you ought to start your message in a creative way, and uh, one of the speakers at Hume Lake uh, did a spoken word type thing. I haven't done this for a little while, so you're going to have to bear with me, but here goes at the start of the message. It started slowly and then began to build a desire to give that was beyond my will. God said to test me on this and see if I will not open the floodgates of eternity. It's about being part of something that is bigger than me and you. But together we're better, you see, for giving together also sets us free from materialism, bonds, from keeping up with the Joneses. So let's give willingly, sacrificially, generously, financially to serve the kingdom for eternity. That's where the real treasure is, you see, and abound. We find it where we're told to go and be bold to share the gift that is beyond our wildest dreams. So let's go and be on mission together, giving no matter the weather, and we'll please the one who's already there in heaven, who's given his most perfect gift. Amen. In the wake of the events this past week, we look at the theme of generosity from 2 Corinthians 9, but we look at it this morning through the lens of the cultural moment we are in. One that could cause, easily cause, further division in the church, big C church, that's often divided, as is our society. But it doesn't have to. Just last week, we talked about the the call to be generous and alive, rich in God's grace and mercy. As God has been rich in grace with us, we are called, as his followers, to be rich in grace with one another. What does that mean for us today? While we celebrate and support 
the right to life and that life begins at conception and that God is the one who knows us, shapes us, and forms us in our mother's wombs and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, we also recognize that we need to be generous and grace for one another in the midst of the seismic cultural shifts we are in right now and that we can love one another across our differences and even through them to show grace and understanding for one another is another way we can be generous with one another. Even we, when we're thinking about generosity today in the form of material or financial giving, need to be stirred in our hearts to think about the grace of giving our grace and mercy to one another. You see, service, the Greek word diakonia, means a variety of things, but it partly means about offering and rendering service to one another. That can take financial form, but it also can be serving one another by listening to one another, by not jumping ahead and sharing our perspective or just listening so that we can get our opinion in, but actually listening so somebody else feels heard. And that's so important right now. We need to carry one another's burdens in a way. And we all have various burdens right now. We have blessings for sure. That's part of the service. People can be blessed with joy and want to give of their time or give of their offering out of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. Praise God. But we also carry one another and serve one another and minister to one another in times of hurt, in times of confusion, in times of sorrow or lament. It's so important that we are generous right now, that we don't just hold what we have, whether that's our perspective or whether that's our gifts or finances, but we become more and more generous people. We serve, and that includes being grace-filled and generous with one another as a result of the generosity of God and his grace who has served us in the person of his son, Jesus. I've heard of a new ad that's come out, and it's interesting where it's playing in the country. I have not seen it on television uh, on the West Coast yet, but while Pastor Greg and I were in Michigan uh, together, I noticed on television there was an ad that played almost every commercial break while we were watching a ball game together. I was watching the game. Greg was putting up with me. But the ad says, he gets us. And what is spoken of in the ad, in a a faith-focused ad, is that a number of wealthy Christians decided to go in together and put the money in so they could put an ad on uh, a commercial on television that says, He gets us. And where it points to is the fact that Jesus gets us because He took on our humanity. He took on flesh. He didn't stay at a distance. He actually came in person. And as we talked about last week, the one who was rich in grace... And rich in in his identity as the one and only son of God became poor for us so that we could be rich in him. Praise God. So when we start to think about generosity and being generous with one another, we have to remember how generous God has been with us already. And if he hadn't been generous with us in our creation and making us fearfully and wonderfully made, as I talked about, knitting us together in our mother's womb, And if he hadn't been generous with us in grace through the giving of his one and only son, we wouldn't have the opportunity to be generous ourselves. So when we're talking about giving and generosity in this message, I want you to understand that that is couched in or seen through the lens or vision of 
God's grace and mercy and generosity with us. He has been rich in grace. He's given us the person of his son, his greatest gift. And there is, as we talk about giving, no way you can outgive God. You could give well beyond a tithe, well beyond 10%. You could give to the church, you give to missions, support people like the Jacksons. You can, you can invest yourself in your, what you have in your wealth in the kingdom of God and the mission of God. But guess what? You will never outgive God because he's given us Jesus. He's given us his best. So with that basis of understanding, let me walk through some things that, uh, where generosity with one another involves several things that were alluded to in the passage. And the first thing is that generosity with one another involves connectedness. So I thought necessary, Paul says, to urge the brothers to visit you in advance. So let me say at the start, at its core, Paul saw the call to generosity in our lives and in our giving as about our connectedness with one another. We give of ourselves to those people and those causes we feel connected with. That is why it's so important to celebrate our connectedness as a family of faith as we celebrate our connectedness with our mission partners around the world, like Chris and Caroline, who we'll get to hear from today. When we give to support their mission, as we do as part of our regular budget, and I want to remind you that you're giving to the church 10% of our regular budget goes to local and global missions right from the start, we're, we're showing them that we're in this together. We're saying we're linking arms with you and we are with you as you serve Christ in the mission field in North Africa. We're saying you are not alone and that our giving and our prayers is a way of being connected. Paul says that connection is is what makes us church. And I love what he does here. He basically encourages the Corinthians to generosity by quoting the example of the Macedonians. And then he, he, uh, at the same time, encourages the Macedonians by quoting the Corinthians. In a typical Pauline fashion, the greatness of his heart is reflected. And he doesn't criticize one church or the other, but basically uses each church as an example to build one another up. So when we're giving, we're connecting with our wider church. And the word for gift here is unusual. It's normally rendered blessing, but it's a Greek word, eulogia. We use like eulogy, like you're going to praise somebody. You're going to affirm them, perhaps at a memorial service. We're going to say what was good about that person who passed on. Well, when we give and when we connect this way through our generosity, we're basically eulogizing, saying good things about the purpose that we're giving to So when you give of your tithes and offerings to the church to support the mission of God here, you're basically saying, this is good, and I want to bless God and bless the efforts of this church to go on serving, and I get to be a part of that. I love the fact that that when we give, we're we're building one another up, and we're blessing people through, through our giving, our tithes, and our offerings. So Greg and I uh, were at our national church gathering this week, and man, the meetings were just, we were there from like 8.30 to 9 every day, lots of good worship time, lots of good teaching, lots of good connecting together. Really, our only free time was on Friday night, and so we decided we were going to go to downtown Detroit on Friday night. That was interesting, 
A lot going on in downtown Detroit on a Friday night. As you might guess, there, there, there were protests taking place. There was singing and dancing in one courtyard. We were walking around just experiencing all these things. And uh, we were approached several times to, to, by people who would ask if you know, they would give you know, something to us. And, and uh, Pastor Greg was asked, and he, he gave some, some, some money to somebody. And, and, the, and the guy said, well, God bless you, brother. You know, for this giving. And, 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 God, and Greg says, God bless you. And, and so the giving, Greg's giving to this man, led to this blessing and celebration, right? They're, he's kind of like, hey, I'm supporting you. You're supporting me. Other people we didn't give to, but we said, hey, we can't give anything right now, but God bless you. I hope you know you have a great day, da, 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 da. And people still smiled because there was a blessing exchanged. Now, the blessing of giving goes beyond the verbal exchange, Right? If we give to somebody, and I know we have different attitudes or approaches to somebody asking us for money on the streets, perhaps, but when we do give, we're basically saying, I want to bless you, I want to be with you, I want to support you. And when you do that in the context of the church, you're basically saying, I want to bless the church in its mission and in its giving. I want to be in this together with others in our church context. And the great thing about this when we do this is we get to participate in something that's far bigger than ourselves. You know, we get out of our own limited lives and vision and things, and we realize we are a family of God on mission together. And when we give, when you give, when I give, our tithes and offerings go together, and God kind of puts it all together, multiplies it, and births church activity, mission, vision, direction, service. So Paul wanted the Corinthians to know right away that their giving, their generosity with other churches and for other churches involved a sense of connectedness together and that that was vital. That those separated by miles, Macedonian church, Corinthian church, the church in Jerusalem they were giving to, they were connected together through their giving in the Spirit of God. It's central to what connects us together when we give, when we invest ourselves. Second point, generosity with one another involves preparation. Paul says, finish arrangements for the generous gift. You know, it's great when people give spontaneously of their tithes and their offerings. But, but really, let's, let's be clear. When we're going to give a tithe, when we want to be intentional about our giving, that usually takes preparation, right? That's not just looking at my wallet and see what I have and throwing that in the plate on the way out. That's saying, I am dedicated to give, I'm committed to give, and I'm going to proactively plan for giving. When we do uh, the uh, estimates of giving cards, usually in the fall, it's, it's an invitation to basically say, this is why I'm committing to giving for a year to the, to the church and to God's mission here. That's not so we can say, okay, you know, that's great. You know, this person's giving this much. This person's giving this much. Yes, it helps us with our planning, but it isn't for us. It's for you. Because when I actually make a commitment to give, I'm much more likely to follow up on that giving, Right? If I'm saying, hey, I'm making this commitment, I'm making a covenant commitment to give to God's mission here at the church, then I usually follow through with that commitment. It's like me and my exercise habits. If I say, well, you know, I'll run when I feel like it. Would rarely happen. Rather, if I make a commitment, I'm going to run on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, and I'm going to run roughly three or four miles at a time, and I'm going to make this intention to get out and get exercise, guess what? It most often happens. Giving, generosity, does not happen by accident. It happens rather through preparation, where you're preparing your heart 
to give generously to God's mission, where you're reflecting an intention to be generous, and you're allowing God to stir your heart to be generous beyond what you might do in your humanness. Generosity calls us out of our selfishness, you see. And the third point here is that generosity with one another involves willingness. Paul says, then it will be ready as a generous gift, not grudgingly given. One translation has this part of it. Let him not give as if it hurt him to give or as if it was being forced out of him. For it is a happy giver that God loves. Paul twice in the passage talks about a generous giver. And again, it's the, gift, the word eulogy, blessing. When we're blessing somebody, we're, get, we're being a part of it. Our emotions are involved. We're extending a blessing. We're not selfishly saving back. And you see, when Paul says to be a willing giver, he's basically saying, have your heart involved in this. Give is an attitude of thanksgiving, gratitude in your heart. You know, there's other ways we could give. We could give uh, out of a sense of duty, like, I, but, you know, like I have to. Like, oh, I know God asked me to give 10% of what I have, so I guess I need to do it. But there's no heart behind it. Others may give simply to find self-satisfaction. They think, may think far more of the pleasant feeling that they have when they make the gift than the feelings of the person or the church or the mission who receives it. So it's like, well, I'm going to feel better about myself if I give. I'm not going to feel selfish, so I guess I'll give something. A third motivation might be giving out of pride. Here, the gift is given not to help, but to glorify the giver. In fact, the chances are that it would not be given if it were not seen or praised. It may even be that that giving is done in order to pile up credit with God as if we could put God in our debt somehow. None of these ways of giving is wholly bad, for at least the gift is made. But the real way to give is out of love's compulsion. We are so inspired to give because of God's giving to us that we can't but help ourselves to give. In fact, giving generously is a reflection of the generous giving of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is so generous with us, so in love with us, that he gave us his best, his one and only son. He didn't give the leftovers. He didn't give out of a limited sense of, well, I'm limited in what I can give, so I guess I'm going to give this. uh, Like God's wrestling as he gives. God's like, here you go, here's Jesus. I'm sending you the best. So if that's true, then our willingness should be inspired. We should be inspired to be generous versus selfish because God has been so generous with us. We don't give out of reluctance or compulsion. We give out of the inspiration that comes with the fact that God has been so generous with us and we want to align our hearts with his that we're going to give our best back to him. Amen? Generosity with one another, fourth, involves abundant sowing. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. God's grace towards us reproduces his graciousness within us. Since God's grace towards us is so infinite, it's not measured or calculated, it's just pouring out, then we're not to give under compulsion. We're to give out of the empowerment and inspiration of wanting to give as a reflection of God's gratitude and wanting to give 
out of saying, you know, God has just sown seeds through his word. He's, he's, he's given of himself. And like the parable of the sower, he's constantly sowing out, the, throwing out the seed of his word. And we have been recipients of that word, beneficiaries of that word. And if that's true, then we want to be generous in the way we sow God's word. We don't want to be holding on to God's grace selfishly. We want to be so abundantly full of God's grace that we give out of gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts. Fifth point, generosity with one another involves cheerfulness. The passage says each one, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, it has to do with our attitude. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, says, giving leads to joy. This image of the harvest naturally suggests the freedom of the sower to plant as much seed as he chooses, whether sparingly or generously. Similarly, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Once the amount has been decided to give and determined, then we should give cheerfully and joyfully, not reluctantly. You see, the more we give, Alcorn says, the more we delight in our giving and the more God delights in us. Our giving pleases us. We can find joy in it. But more importantly, it pleases God. God loves a cheerful giver. This doesn't mean that we should give only when, we, when we're feeling cheerful. Much like the running analogy, if you're waiting till you have a cheerful feeling before you give, you may be waiting a long time. But when you give out of an act of obedience and thanksgiving to God, there becomes a cheerfulness. There becomes a joyfulness. There becomes a sense of completion and that what happens is our emotions often catch up with our obedience. We act in obedience. We give of our tithes and our offerings. We give of our time and our, our talents to support one another. And guess what? There's a cheerfulness that accompanies it when that happens. Again, if we're waiting around for the emotions of love before we act in love, or if we're waiting around for the sense of cheerfulness before we give, we could be waiting a long time. But just give, I encourage you, and watch the joy follow that accompanies the gift. You see, God delights in our cheerful giving. He wants us to find joy in giving, that we get to be a part of something, again, greater than ourselves. You see, God loves a cheerful giver because he himself is a cheerful giver. In his agape, unconditional love and favor, he gave of his very best. He didn't give out of a sense of guilt, reluctance, or compulsion. He gave joyfully the gift of his son Jesus so that we could find real life in him. You know, there's a lot of roadblocks to giving. There are roadblocks like unbelief. We don't believe in, in God fully, so we don't give. There might be insecurity or fear. I just need to hold on to my resources because the world is so uncertain right now. It could be pride. It could be idolatry. We're worshiping money instead of God. It could be the desire for power and control. Luke twelve fifteen says, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, we think we own our possessions, but in reality, they often end up owning us, and it disables us from being generous. Conversely, sixth point, generosity with one another includes abounding in grace. When we are so filled with the grace of God, when the grace of God has so penetrated our hearts, we are inspired to reflect that kind of grace and mercy. 
It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Randy Alcorn says it this way. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. He doesn't bless you beyond your uh, expectations in order to just have you hold on to that. No, he blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. And sometimes we can get in kind of a conserving mentality. We can have a scarcity mentality like I have limited resources and I have to hold on to those resources because I don't know about the future or the present right now. But instead, God calls us to a theology of abundance. In Jesus, in God's creation of us, in his giving of every good and perfect gift, friends, we have more than enough. And we're called to operate and respond out of a a theology of abundance, that God has been rich in grace to us. He's poured out his seeds of love and his word and, and everything. He's been generous on every occasion with us and so that we can be rich on every and generous on every occasion. We don't have to hold back. Rather, we can anticipate that God will continue to pour in as we pour out. We don't want to become like a a, 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 a bog that starts to stink and everything because the inflow doesn't have any outflow. Rather, we want to be like a stream that the grace of God and the gifts of God flow into our lives and then they joyfully pour out or flow out of our lives into the lives of others. How does that occur? Seventh point. Generosity with one another involves a recognition that God is the ultimate giver. It says, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. We need to remember that God is owner of everything. We're simply his money managers. He's given us every good and perfect gift, and he is the greatest giver in the universe. As I said earlier, he will not let you outgive him. We can give instead of keep. We can invest in the internal instead of the temporal. We can store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. But that will only come as much as we recognize that God is the one who has given us everything we have. We don't want to hold on or hold back because God didn't hold on or hold back with us. And the New Testament is very clear that this isn't about just giving us you know, physical or financial riches. It's not that, you know, when we, we give, we're going to earn back or, you know, God's going to just give us material wealth. We know there's a stream of the church that seems to have gone awry where there's kind of a health and wealth gospel that if we're obedient and do good or we give, then God's just going to pour out financial blessing upon us. That may or may not be the case. But what we can say is that God is a good and gracious giver and he will bless us with the riches of heaven and he will bless us with the harvest of righteousness, a growing right relationship with God. And that's better than any material blessing we could possibly receive. Eighth point, generosity with one another involves thanksgiving. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, he says, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
You see, giving is the only antidote to materialism. We're called to give a tithe, a tenth part, back to God out of way of saying thank you to God and that we are so filled with joy and fullness and gratitude that we can't help but give. And what we find is thanksgiving to God that inspires our giving and which kind of gives back to us in terms of thanksgiving is part of how we're storing up treasures in heaven. We're looking forward to the fact that one day we're going to get to see Jesus face to face and we're going to have just a tremendous amount of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. You see, God gives so that, and that's the key, that you will be rich in every way. Not rich just in terms of material financial blessings, but rich in grace that you want to give away to other people. Rich in mercy as an act of thanksgiving and gratitude to God who was rich in mercy to you. Generosity with one another also involves ninth, obedience and praise to God. Because of all the service by which you have proved yourself, Paul says, men will praise God for the abundance that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. You see, our praise of God leads to obedience in our giving. We give as an act of love. Our love for God spills over into love for neighbor. And ultimately, It aligns our hearts with God. Tenth and final point, generosity with one another involves the heart. It says, in their prayers for you, in their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. You see, our hearts always go where our money goes. And when we basically can in the end say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus, we become grateful people that want to be a part of God's mission by giving of ourselves in our tithes and in our offerings. So if that's true, the question is, where is what is the condition of your heart right now? Is your heart open and you're receiving God's gift and you're giving God's gifts? Or is your heart kind of blocked up? Maybe you're receiving God's gift, but somewhere it's getting caught up in your heart and there's sort of a heart blockage right now because of bitterness or fear or pride or anger or whatever it might be. My encouragement to you is to be open to God and receiving the gifts of God that he wants to give to you through Jesus and has given to you through Jesus, but also not be selfish about those gifts, but be ready to give away. What does this look like? Biblical call is to give of your tithes, 10% of your income, back to the mission of God here through a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, on-mission church, but also to go beyond that in your offerings, to extend yourself beyond the 10%. 10% isn't a finish line. It's actually a starting line of giving. And to give to parachurch organizations, to give to international missions, For us, that means that giving to a couple of children through Compassion International or World Vision and giving to a parachurch organization because the ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at Chico State changed my life when I was in college. And to get to be a part of those continued missions in the world is an reflection of my joy and my gratitude to God for every good and perfect gift he's given to me. I finish with this story. Just before my call uh, to Sierra Press, a little over 10 years ago, uh, I was involved in the the church in Santa Rosa of supporting a a compassion project. And that meant that we had an experience where people could come and learn about what life was like in a village in Africa uh, for children in Africa and uh, what that was like. And and then it led to the opportunity to give, to sponsor a child uh, on their behalf. 
And Beth and I, I've shared this story, it's been some time though. Uh, Beth and I had decided we were going to give, uh, we were going to connect with an eight-year-old girl. We wanted to do this in honor of our daughter, Kylie, who had passed away in 2004. And we had decided that we, we, would, we, would get, we would give and sponsor an eight-year-old child. Well, I came through this experience first, and, and you know, I, I, I had a sense that, you know, okay, we're, we said we would give to, to support the, an eight-year-old, but, but as I was walking around, I, I looked around, and there was probably three or four hundred of these sponsor packets. And I saw a child that just, I could not get off my heart, and I was just like, wow, I just, this child, is, I feel a connection here, I feel a desire to give here. But Beth and I said an eight-year-old girl, and that's what we're going to do. So I picked an eight-year-old girl, and I was thankful to do that. And I, and I walked out. About a half hour later, 45 minutes later, Beth comes through this experience. Again, three or 400 packets. And she comes out holding the same girl that I had seen and felt a call to and says, you know, we said we were going to sponsor an eight-year-old girl, but I feel like we need to sponsor this girl like a one in 400 chance that we would be drawn to the same one. And in the last 10 years, we've had the joy of getting to support that child on Christ's behalf. I don't know what God's call for you is individually, particularly. I do know generally, biblically, he's called you to give 10%, be a part of giving your tithes, your offerings to God. But I encourage you also to make that personal. Go beyond tithing and make it personal in giving to what inspires your heart, to get to be a part of God's greater work in this world. And when we do that, we're actually being generous with one another, and it's another way that we as a church are being on mission together. 